This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com slash star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good evening and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Well, that spooky time of year is sneaking up on us. So this week, our focus is on Hocus Pocus. Yes, it's time to make my big batch of witches brew for the family, complete with Eye of Newt just after I make a tray of Frankenfurters. Halloween, kids love the yummy candy and dressing up as scary goblins or a favorite superhero. But as adults, we have to consider safety. And this means more than just checking candy for sharp objects and poison. Here to discuss tips for a beautiful and safe Halloween is Dr. Katie Lockwood, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics at Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Penn, Distinguished Chair in the Department of Pediatrics as the Director of Behavioral Health Education in the Pediatric Residency Program at CHOP and the Director of Education in the CHOP Primary Care Network and the hosts of our own podcast series. Then we'd like to address the current surge in RSV, respiratory syncytial virus that can cause serious illness, especially in very young children. Welcome, Katie. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk about these important topics. Yes, lots to cover. Now, I will give credit to the National Safety Council. Their website, in case anybody wants to visit it, is nsc.org. But they outline three categories. As we say, it's more than just examining the candy. Lots of uh, topics to cover in Halloween safety. So let's talk about costumes first. So costumes are an essential part of Halloween and for the most part are fun. But as you mentioned, Halloween isn't all about fun and games. So a few tips to keep your kids safe in their costumes. So one point that I'd like to mention is that children who wear a face mask still to prevent respiratory infections, the costume face mask is not an alternative to that. And you should not double them up because it would be hard to breathe through both your cloth or medical face mask plus a costume mask. So if your child needs to wear a mask for any reason, they should still wear their mask and not put any other Halloween costume over their face. 
Another point is that costumes should be fire resistant, and most are, but you want to just double check the labels on your clothing, especially because there's a lot of candles around at this time of year, and loose pieces of cloth from costumes can catch on those things. So you want to check that your your not patient, your child has a very close fitted costume that's also fire resistant and any accessories that come with that costume like swords or those fake plastic knives you want to make sure that they're soft and flexible especially if you have some uh, little toddlers around at home who might trip and fall easily and you know katie you make a very good point about the masks because um i think sometimes the children are afraid when you put masks on them anyway and you're out in the dark. I know some people go out at four or five o'clock, but it, it gets dark earlier now. And when they're crossing the street, you don't want the mask to be slipping and sliding and making it hard for them to see. So, and you make a very good point. It's Halloween. Put a little sparkle in their hair or glitter eyeshadow or, or something fun and forget about the big mask that covers their face because uh, for a lot of reasons... You don't have to. They can still have fun and still look like Spider-Man with their own face. And some of those masks really do prohibit your visibility as a child. They might not have good peripheral vision if they're wearing a big bulky mask. They might not see a car coming or another child who's running and they can crash into each other. Another good thing is to have them wearing sturdy shoes like sneakers. And again, especially for the little ones who might not be as good at stepping on and off curbs or navigating uneven ground, you want to make sure that they have something um, that protects their feet like a sneaker uh, to be walking around. It's also a lot of walking on Halloween night. Trick-or-treating is exercise. And so you want to make sure that whatever they're wearing is comfortable and safe and warm enough or cool enough for what the weather is since we know October can be pretty variable. So you want to dress them appropriately knowing that they're going to be outside potentially for a few hours and you want them to be comfortable for the season. And I think the other point about the costume is the idea of putting reflective tape on it um, because you want children to be seen by drivers because uh, we'll talk about that and and tips for safe driving. But you just the the costumes can be dark. The reflective tape is so easy and such a smart idea. What do you think about the suggestion to put the child's name, address, and phone number? It sounds like a good safety measure, but then does that compete with the idea you don't want your child? You don't. They say not to monogram the child's sweater with, you know, Mary on it because somebody will come up and say, "Hey, Mary, do you want this candy?" I guess. The benefits outweigh the risk here that if your child happens to uh, straggle behind, that somebody knows how to contact you. What do you think about that? A phone number seems safe because like you mentioned, then you're not giving out any personal information about the child that could be used to trick the child, but yet a phone number can then be used to contact you in case your child gets separated from the pack, which sounds like it wouldn't be hard to do, but really the crowds can get busy and kids can easily get lost in the dark and think maybe they're following you when they're really following someone else in an outfit similar to you. And so putting their phone number somewhere on them or on their trick-or-treat bag can be a helpful idea, particularly for those little kids who don't have those things memorized yet. You can also, a strategy that I've heard families use that I think is really creative is those little tiles that can be tracked to your phone, like a GPS tracker. Mm. You can clip that into your child's clothing, put it into a pocket, 
or um, pin it to their costume. And then you can GPS track where your young child is. So you have a way of checking if they're close by to you and you just got a little bit separated, you can catch back up. So that can be another creative, technologically savvy way of trying to track your kids on Halloween. Yeah. And I think that's a great compromise because not everybody has good intentions. And the idea to carry a little flashlight, that's another tough one for a child to carry a flashlight, but a glow stick makes them Mm -hmm. a little bit more obvious in a crowd. I'm always thinking about cars that are going through, depending on the size of the neighborhood. um, It can, there can be a lot of children trying to cross when they're not supposed to and in between cars and such. Um, And then taking their makeup off before they go to bed. If they have any kind of face paint, and they come home when they're tired, they watch a little TV, they count their candy, and they fall asleep. You want to go ahead and wash their face, yes? This is true. There's a lot of issues with the face paint and makeup that we see because they're not FDA approved. And some kids don't have a lot of experience with putting these things on their face. So their skin may be very sensitive to it. And we see rashes afterwards from face paint or makeup that was applied. So the first thing you want to do even before you go out is test it on a small patch of skin. So put a little bit of it Mm. on their hand or their arm and just see if they have a reaction after it's been on and then you take it off. And if they're okay with it there, then you can put it on their face. But as you mentioned, you don't want them to fall asleep in it and leave it on overnight, especially because it can get rubbed into their eyes or into their mouth. So you want to do a good face wash when you get home. Great. What about actual trick-or-treating? We always say you want to have a responsible adult taking the children, not too many at a time, not carrying a beer. Not that you should anyway, but every once in a while you see somebody (laughs) with a cup and you think, "Mm, I hope that's just coffee because you really have to pay attention to children and hold their hands. Yes. Yeah, my anxiety goes up when I'm taking my children out trick-or-treating because, as I mentioned, there are a lot of crowds. There's a lot of cars driving around. So you do really want to have an adult who's focused on the children. That's not to say that other adults around can't have fun on Halloween, but if you are responsible for the trick-or-treating aspect of it, you want to make sure you have an adult who is paying attention just to the kids, tracking where they are making sure that they're safe. And for the little ones, definitely holding their hands because they do get excited. And when they see something fun up ahead, whether it's decorations or candy or a friend, they may just start running towards them and they may not pay attention to the street that they're crossing. So you want to make sure that you set up good, safe behaviors around the streets like handholding, crossing in crosswalks and paying attention to the traffic that's around them. And if you're the, the adult, whether it's your child or somebody else's child, don't be texting. Put your cell phone in your pocket. It can wait for the hour or hour and a half that you're out. The world will not stop spinning if you're not answering text messages or checking emails, right? And for older right, kids be too, careful. I, I would think that that used to raise my blood pressure when my, my kids, when they were older, would start to go out. You want to give them boundaries so you know when and where to look, where to, you know, you have to be home by nine o'clock or a specific time, a specific place. So you know where to look for them. Yeah. Right. You want to set good rules about what your expectation is for when they'll be home and where they're allowed to go on Halloween. And particularly if you have a new driver in your household, so a teenager who's new, this might not Mm. be the right night for them to be driving around. You may want to drive them and leave them at a house somewhere for a party. We don't want new drivers on the road at a time when it's really challenging and there's little kids. Very good point. And you tell your children never, ever, ever get into a stranger's car 
or never go into a stranger's home. If you know candy outside, if they invite you in, say nope, I'm good. I'm not Hansel. I'm not Gretel. That's right. Uh, and um, right. <laughs> and not to eat any treats really until they get home, especially those that have been homemade or that are packaged in kind of a you know a foil or a package that's not prepackaged at a store. And we have to keep food allergies in mind too. Yeah. Yep, we want to make sure that if if you have food allergies or anyone in your family does that you really read the labels and double check, there may be some candies that you haven't seen before. And so you don't want kids to just um, think that they're all safe because they were given out to them, that you really do need to double check for for kids with allergies. Let's take a little break and talk more about Halloween safety when we return with Dr. Katie Lockwood from CHOP. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com slash star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like, how can the healthcare industry earn the trust of patients? And what if your health outcomes and access to care weren't defined by your skin color, sexuality, gender, or zip code? At Genentech, we're removing barriers and partnering across the medical community to make clinical research as diverse as the world we serve to ensure communities have access to health care. Learn how we are working to make health care more equitable at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Welcome back to your radio doctor with Dr. Katie Lockwood from Children's Hospital. Katie, we talked about really examining treats that our children bring home before they eat them. One of the things that's been in the news recently is rainbow fentanyl. And you see on TV the, ad, the, the stories where these pills look like other candies that might come in multiple colors, like pink, blue, pale green, and yellow. Um, I guess I can name Skittles as an example of a, a multicolored candy. I mean, it's a great candy, but I don't know how the bad guys are getting wrappers that look identical to Skittles or on TV the other day, I'm just quoting what I saw, Whoppers or Sweet Tarts. Um, How do they get the packaging? I would guess it's to bring it into the country, but is that an issue with our children getting bad candy that could kill them? So this is something that's really scaring families when you see this on the news. But what we know is that drug smugglers were using candy packaging to smuggle rainbow fentanyl and other fentanyl type products in and out of the country. So it was used for smuggling purposes, not for distribution to children. Right. And these are expensive drugs and drug cartels are not looking to give it out for free. And their consumer is not the young child um, who's not the person who's buying fentanyl. And so we don't have concerns that this is going to be a major distribution channel or something that parents need to worry about. That being said, you want to look out for any packaging that is 
opened or tampered with. So if the product is falling out of the packaging into their Halloween sack or tote bag, you want to throw that away. So they should only be eating candy that is fully wrapped. And that is one important thing. And then certainly things, as you mentioned, that are commercial products and not homemade um, treats that are given out by strangers. Now, certainly if your family members want to bake a fun Halloween treat and give it to your kids, that's different. But you don't want to be taking home-baked treats from strangers and when you don't know what the ingredients are or where it was cooked. Again, particularly if there's food allergies because you don't know what's in it. But if the commercial candy is well-packaged and doesn't seem to be tampered with, I don't think that parents need to be concerned that there could be fentanyl in that product. Sure. And you mentioned the homemade uh, goods, not just for nuts and, and allergies to food, but celiac because... So many children have Mm -hmm. celiac and um, we're smart about that. So let's talk about drivers. You made a very good point. Older kids that you let, say, go to a party, you don't want an inexperienced driver anywhere on the street Halloween, either taking him or herself to a party or just driving, doing errands because there are a lot of little people that, that are excited and running between cars, not using crosswalks, et cetera. What other kind of tips do we have? Because we know, according to uh, the National Safety Council, children are twice as likely to be hit by a car and killed on Halloween than any other day of the year. Yeah, it's an awful statistic. And we know that cars are a big killer of teenagers as well. And they can be distractible and impulsive drivers. And so we want to try to take away any distractions that we can. So really emphasizing staying off of their cell phones while driving, and certainly not drinking or using any other drugs and driving. Mm And then another point is that there are a lot of slow moving vehicles on Halloween and sometimes it's our impulse to zip around those cars when they are stopped for a little longer than they should be. But keep in mind that they may be dropping off or picking up children or they may see a child who's kind of toddled into the street inappropriately and they paused For that safety reason, if you go around them, you're not going to see that little child crossing the street. So you really want it to be a night where you have more patience with your driving than usual. And sometimes that is not the strength of our teen drivers. So parents may need to take the control a little bit there. And you mentioned a very good word that I think capsulizes it very well, impulsive. It's not because they're not caring. It's part of that age that young people just learning to drive or doing anything early in life, haven't had the experience of that imprint in their brain that that one time they they were going too fast, they just missed a person or a dog or, right? So Exactly. It's It's not intentional at all. And we love our teenagers and pediatrics, but they just need a little bit of extra help. And as you mentioned, really the key here is that they don't have experience. This may be their first time driving on Halloween. And as adults, we know how tricky it can be, um, that it's a night that does have a little more challenge and obstacles out there. And teens don't have that experience. So that's where we can help them. Well said. And lastly, in your home, it's so cool to cut out the jack-o'-lantern and put the candle in, but it's so much easier and safer to get the battery operated lights because as you say, we talk about these children of all ages, even the bigger kids have more force if they bump into it on your porch and then 
Tell us about that. Definitely. So you want to use the battery-operated lights in your jack-o'-lanterns or for decorations around your house. And similarly, if things are, if you have decorations that involve power cords in general, you want to make sure that those aren't draped across walkways or pathways where kids could trip on them or they could pull them out or do something that might potentially create a fire hazard. So looking for things that are safe and safely positioned so that kids aren't falling on them or tripping over them when they're rushing in and out of houses to collect their treats. Because, uh, and you, you mentioned uh, those wires. I was even thinking, you know, the bigger decorations, but the wire is a very good thought because it's so easy mm-hmm. to trip and fall, domino into other children and knock over a candle, etc. And what about our pets? It's so important to protect. I am a beagle mother. <laughs> and for a long time, we had mm-hmm. three beagles and they are brilliant at sniffing out. I might have a peppermint at the bottom of a a tote bag and (laughs) Maggie or Libby or Zeus will find it. They would eat a hole in the bag to get to that one dead peppermint from six months ago. Um, But with Halloween, they can overdose in chocolate, all kinds of problems. Uh, Let's And with candles with them as well, right? Let's talk about our pets. So that's a great point. And I'm a new dog owner myself. And many people put their candy in a big bowl and they leave it by the door so that when Mm trick-or-treaters ring the bell, they come over. But that bowl that's just sitting there is vulnerable to kids, uh, little kids in particular, but also our pets getting into it inappropriately. So you want to make sure Mm -hmm. that you put candy, especially chocolate candy that can be dangerous for dogs, up and out of their reach. So on a higher counter or shelf or in something that's sealed like a Ziploc bag. Plus, I think they're excited and sometimes frightened when they see children in costume. That's that's scary to dogs, uh, Mm -hmm. cats, I guess. But as a dog mother, I just know that my dogs kind of pull back when when they see somebody or they might hear a voice behind a mask they you don't want them to jump on the children scare the children scare them it's probably a good idea to put muffy or buffy or fluffy your pet into <laughs> their crate uh for a little bit just to keep everybody safer and you don't want them to knock over candles either and start a fire yeah That's a great point. Many children do get bit by a family pet. And what we often hear in the emergency department is that this pet has never done something like this before. And it's a shock to families when that happens. But sometimes it is uh, provoked by a child who's a little Mm -hmm. bit rough. And in some cases, the pet is scared. And as you mentioned, they may not recognize that that is the child that's been living with them when they're wearing a full outfit and scare scare the pet. So if you have any concerns that your pet may respond like that, it's best to keep them separated from the trick-or-treaters and the small children who may be coming around in costumes. Yes. And you even say, and, and another good point is you have a dog who never behaves that way, but they might um, smell candy on a child's hand and go to taste the candy and nip the child's hand. So all those things, right. it seems like a long list, a to-do list for our listeners, but it becomes habit. And, you know, a little child walking around with a lollipop uh, and the dog decides to bite the lollipop, that they, they don't read a textbook to know accuracy and get the lollipop and not the child, child's hand. So that, <laughs> that applies to the whole year, I guess. Um, exactly. And then, uh, of course, we've learned so much about hand washing and maybe all the uh, thinking about, I mean, I'm reading articles now about maybe all the washing of counters and such with COVID doesn't apply so much, but with we're going to talk in our next segment about RSV. And yes, and you're going to tell us that can be spread if you're near somebody who coughs or sneezes. They're 
um, the particles when they cough or sneeze, the liquid particles. But fomite, fomite is a cup or a door handle. It's an inanimate object that a person has touched with germs and, and then they're spread. Wash your hands yep. before you eat that Halloween candy, yes? Yep, Halloween is going to be full of germs, unfortunately, because there are so many respiratory viruses out there and hand washing is one of the best ways that you can combat this. So I would say two things. One is you could carry a small hand sanitizer with you while you're out trick-or-treating because if your kids are like mine, they can't wait until they're home to have a taste of some of the candy. And so I can put a squirt of hand sanitizer on their hands, have them clean it, and then they can pick their candy that they're going to snack on while we're walking. Again, safely, not a lollipop or any sticks that can poke them in the mouth. But if they want to take a little bite of something, I think that's okay while we're out, as long as we can clean hands first. Because as you mentioned, it's not only the hand-to-hand -hand contact or coughing and sneezing on someone in the crowd, but it's the child may be touching that doorknob that everyone else touched or sticking their hand into a bowl of candy that everyone else's hands dug through first. So you want to clean their hands with some hand sanitizer while you're out. And when you get home, wash your hands with soap and water before they're eating any candy. And I think that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, and it probably applies more for RSV, the, the new, uh, not new, but the current virus, it's RSV season, than it does to say something like COVID. But just in general, we want to encourage everyone, but especially imprint our children with that good habit of wash your hands before you eat food, even a snack, all kinds of cooties that want to make you sick. Exactly. And there's one other thing I was thinking of, Marianne, that I think is a great tip for Halloween, which is Hot liquids are a major cause of burns in small children. So if you are carrying hot apple cider and hot chocolate or you're putting these things on the stove in your kitchen, just make sure that they're out of reach of those small little hands and that things are appropriately cool before you hand them to kids. This is a time of year where we see a lot of those burn injuries because those hot drinks feel good when you're out trick-or-treating, but we just need to be careful that they don't spill on the little ones. Great point. And if you have a pot on the stove, make sure the handle is turned in so that a passerby of any age doesn't hit the the uh the handle these are great mm -hmm. tips katie thank you let's take a little break and when we come back we're going to talk about rsv today's edition of your radio doctor with dr marianne ritchie presented exclusively by independence blue cross can be enjoyed anytime anywhere at your convenience just download the odyssey app and search your radio doctor it's health education on demand Hi, I'm Ritika Kumar from Independence Blue Cross. As a parent, I know our greatest hope in life is to protect our children. As a physician, I know that the best way to protect our children and boost their immunity is to get them vaccinated against COVID-19. With schools back in session, it's important to stay up to date on their vaccines. The COVID-19 vaccines are approved for children six months and older. Vaccination, it's the very best way to love and protect them. When you have orthopedic issues, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes orthopedics. You need an exceptionally specialized Rothman orthopedics physician. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. That's RothmanOrtho.com. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like when it comes to diseases, can we strive to treat, prevent, 
and even reverse them? And how can we make healthcare more effective and more affordable? These are the types of questions that can help impact the lives of so many patients, that help push the boundaries of innovation and healthcare for all communities. At Genentech, we are the pioneers of the biotech industry, tackling some of the biggest questions in healthcare. Learn more at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. We're learning such great information about safety for Halloween. And now I would like to talk about the current surge in RSV, respiratory syncytial virus. It's the most common cause of lower respiratory tract infection. Let's distinguish that in itself, if you would, Dr. Katie Lockwood from Children's Hospital. So this this is a great topic, and I'm happy that everyone's talking about RSV so much right now. It's something that we have seen for years. So first off, I'd like to say to the families who are worried about this, unlike COVID, where we didn't know much about it, we were learning as we were treating kids through the pandemic and had a lot of unanswered questions initially. RSV is something that we have many, many years of experience with, and we know how to take care of this. We are seeing it a little bit earlier than we're used to, a little bit earlier in the fall. It's usually a late fall, winter, early spring virus, but it is a common cause, as you mentioned, of lower respiratory tract infections. So the difference here is that many things that cause the common cold, we consider upper respiratory tract. So you get congestion, runny nose, sneezing, all the stuff up in your head versus RSV, which is a little bit more of a lower respiratory tract infection. So down in the lungs, and in particular, it's the small, small airways in the lungs. So we call that bronchiolitis, which is when you get inflammation and mucus in those small airways, and it makes it harder to breathe there. So Kids can do things like breathing harder and faster or using their extra muscles to breathe. So you can see sometimes their ribs, the muscles in between their ribs contracting or pulling in uh, right above their sternum, right, right at the base of the neck or flaring their nostrils. All things trying to get more air down into the lungs. Mm-hmm. So it's not just up in the head, although you get those symptoms too. You get the congestion and, and the coughing, but you also hear it down in the lungs. And that's a really good explanation, Katie, because... When people, um, we try to paint a mental image in our discussion every week. So if you feel the, the bumpy part of your neck, that's that's the big your trachea leads into your airway, which is a big, uh, the bronchi, the, the main airway splits into two. So you have east and west, and then <laughs> those airways break into much smaller channels, smaller little side streets, and the tiniest ones are the bronchioles. And that ends up going to alveoli or the so if it's a if it's a tree that branches we're talking about the alveoli where air is exchanged as the little the leaves but the mm-hmm. very tiniest branches are these bronchioles and if they get inflamed that's where the work of air and carbon dioxide exchanges and you can imagine why you'd expect to hear wheezing or you'd see a child struggle if it gets to that point so um Tell us what is the most common time of year? I would think now, maybe October through April, May-ish. 
Right. We usually start seeing a few cases now and then it kind of escalates as the fall and winter go on, peaks sort of, sort of in the winter and then again tapers off through the early spring. So we are seeing higher rates now than we typically do at the beginning of the season. And that's one of the things that we worry about is, you know, it, are we going to continue seeing high rates of RSV through the season and are we not even at our peak yet? And are the case numbers just mm-hmm. going to keep going up because we are early in the season still? So so typically, this is a fall, winter type of an illness. Mm-hmm. It springs two questions into my mind. When our children were all protected with masks uniformly, pretty much, and, and many were isolated, did we see a decrease in these more typical viruses and now a surge because we're mixing again? I think that's exactly it. That's Mm -hmm. exactly it. During the pandemic, we did such a good job with masks and social distancing that we really didn't see a lot of the typical respiratory virus infections other than COVID. And we did such a good job of that, that the kids who were born in the past two years, who typically would have gotten some RSV, Mm. most kids end up getting RSV eventually, that they didn't get it during those two years. So Mm. now we have multiple years of kids who are seeing RSV for the first time. They didn't get that boost of having a little course of it last year to get it again this year mildly. Everybody is getting it for the first time because it hasn't been around much. Right. And we did see some RSV in the spring, this past spring in 2021, in about April, May, there was a little peak of it. But at that time, there weren't a lot of other viruses circulating. So it didn't feel like a big burden But now we're seeing RSV again, and we're also seeing rhinovirus, adenovirus, enterovirus, flu is coming, COVID's always been there. So it's on top of all the other respiratory viruses that we see at this time of year. And that's why this feels like a greater impact. That's fascinating, because aside from it coming back, that cohort or that collection of children who were zero to two during COVID have now moved on. And so it's now Most children, we say, have been exposed to RSV before the age of two. Let's ballpark it. Now, all those zero to four-year-olds are vulnerable now. What an interesting point. Now, like the flu, which we know usually get your shot best times to get it is October because there could be variants. You can have a new strain of flu pop up later. Are there different flavors of RSV that can show up now and then a different one later in, in the winter or early spring? There are different subtypes. I'll say we don't talk about it or really test for that as much, but the way that this looks for families is that children can get RSV more than once. And so even if your child had RSV, they can get another subtype again, or as I mentioned, they can get it in the next season again. So even if they had really bad RSV last year, you can still get it in the next season. And so it's not something that you have long-term immunity for after you've gotten it. And because there are those different subtypes and the fact that immunity doesn't last and there's no vaccine for it, it brings up your point of what we can vaccinate for, which is flu. So you can't prevent some of these different viruses like RSV, adeno-rhino, but you can prevent COVID and flu through vaccination. So it's even more important when we see a surge like this of RSV to get the vaccines for the things that you can prevent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Message work on those things you can control. So what are there certain risk factors for children? Most children are exposed to it. I guess the question is, some children could get severely ill with it. Let's talk about categories of children at greater risk. 
Yeah, it's so important because it is scary when you hear this in the news to keep in mind that only about 3% of kids who get RSV end up being hospitalized. So we're talking about a small number. This is primarily an outpatient disease process, and most kids do well, and it can seem like a mild cold to them. But there are certain children who are at greater risk. So particularly kids who are born prematurely. They are a high-risk category because their lungs are still developing and they may have some underlying lung disease. Those who are newborns, um, and particularly under six months of age as infants, because their immune system is still developing and their airways are smaller, so they can be more susceptible and have a rougher course when they get RSV. And then anyone who has an underlying heart or lung disease, so thinking about things like congenital heart diseases or cystic fibrosis, they are also at higher risk than other children. And certainly anyone who is immunocompromised, um, like many other viruses, they are at higher risk. There are some things you can do, though, to help, you know, even kids who don't have any of those conditions can have a rough course, particularly kids who have exposure to secondhand smoke. So trying to prevent secondhand smoke exposure in the household. And kids who have asthma, especially if their asthma is poorly controlled. So this is a good time to stay on top of your child's asthma medications. Make sure they're taking their preventative medicine if they have one and that you have albuterol in the household just in case they end up getting it. In general, young children, infants with RSV, don't respond classically to albuterol and bronchodilators, but kids over the age of 12 months who have asthma and get something like RSV sometimes do respond to bronchodilators. So you want to have those medications around. So there are lots of things that can make kids vulnerable, but in, in general, most kids are able to fight this infection well and stay out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that you emphasize the point of children exposed to secondhand smoke. And this is not a lecture, but when we know that smoking doesn't really have any positives. Um, and so when, when an adult makes a decision to smoke, even if they make it a habit to smoke outside, because that impacts so many other people who choose not to smoke, especially a little infant or child, I can say, I was going to ask you too, if adults get RSV, and I can say, yes, <laughs> not to preempt your answer, but my <laughs> daughter was a September baby and five weeks of age. She was in the hospital for three days in a tent with RSV. I'll never forget it. And I got it from her. And then I got it from my little grandson last September. I have not been that mm. sick in a long time. So tell us, if you would, uh, about yeah. being mindful of, say, grandparents and such. Right. So anyone can get RSV, and that's a great point. And what happens sometimes in pediatrics is that for adults who are middle-aged and healthy, it might be nothing but a very minor cold. In fact, some people think it's their allergies, and they kind of brush it off and go about their business, not realizing that what is a minor cold to you can be a very serious illness in very young children, as we just talked about. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, grandparents and elderly people who um, may have underlying conditions as, as well can be at very high risk. Now, I'm a pediatrician, so I don't take care of them. But what we do see sometimes 
sometimes is older people who have RSV come to visit their grandchild, they give them a big kiss, and they pass that RSV right on. And unknowingly, because it might be mild in some adults, and so they don't think much of it and don't restrict their activities when they're actually spreading RSV that can be very dangerous Mm -hmm. to young infants. Katie, let's talk a little bit about the symptoms. You mentioned it can be just upper symptoms like sniffles, maybe conjunctivitis, teary eyes, red eyes, a little bit of an upper cough. When should a mom or dad or or an adult take that little child to the emergency room? What would they decide? Because you don't want to, you don't want to wait till the child's in bronchospasm and really struggling to breathe. Right. That's a great point. And many kids get hospitalized with RSV due to dehydration. So when you're breathing harder or faster, you have a lot of congestion, it's harder to feed. And especially if you're a young infant and can't be talked to rationally and told you should drink more, um, they don't understand that and they're not feeding well. So if your child is behind on their hydration, they're not feeding well for you. And particularly, we look for making one good wet diaper every eight hours. And so that's three wet diapers a day, basically. If they're not doing that, that's a sign they could be dehydrated or if they have dry mucous membranes, so dry um, lips and mouth in particular. That's one reason why you should seek care from a doctor. Another is if their breathing is faster or harder than baseline. And so, as I mentioned, using those muscles to breathe, flaring their nostrils can be another one, or looking really fatigued, which might be a sign that they're tiring out from all their heavy breathing. Those are reasons to seek extra care. And I guess you as a provider would suspect RSVP, RSVP, no <laughs> RSV, <laughs> if a child's younger, under the age of a year, uh, if they have that lower respiratory red flag kind of when you listen to their lungs, it's time of year and you know that RSV circulate. We have about 30 seconds, Katie. What are you seeing at CHOP right now? So we are seeing more kids than usual with RSV, and we are seeing, because of that, higher volumes of kids, which creates long wait times. And so we have been asking our families, if you don't need to seek care, whether that's primary care, urgent care, or emergency department care, this is a time to stay home and prevent getting RSV when you come to seek care that care. So if you don't need to be there, try to stay home and be patient with your healthcare providers, especially those pediatric providers, because things are so busy right now. Wait times may be long. We are seeing lots of respiratory infections in general, and we would love people to get immunized again for flu and COVID so we can keep those cases out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. And RSV is one of those things that we want to wash hands that is transferred when children shake hands, and, and it's different. If a child is in a daycare and they 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 put their mouth on a toy, that's the kind of surface that is more likely to share the love, yes? Yep, you want to wipe down those high-touch areas, both in daycares and home settings. So doorknobs, phones, and anything on light switches, anything that kids might be putting their hands on or adults might be touching a lot, wipe those down and keep them clean. Great information. Let's take a little break and we'll be back for our wrap-up with Dr. Katie Lockwood. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. 
and all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no co-pays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. When you have joint pain, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes joints. Someone so focused on their specialty, they've written the book on it, literally. You need an exceptionally specialized physician from Rothman Orthopedics. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past the pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. Official orthopedic partner of the Eagles, Phillies, and Sixers. Now, your weekly prescription brought to you by Genentech, the science-driven company that pioneered the biotech industry to transform how we treat the world's most complex health problems. Welcome back to your final segment of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Katie Lockwood. We call this segment Your Weekly Prescription, brought to you by Genentech. Katie, we've learned so much about Halloween safety and the new surge in RSV, and they do go hand in hand this year because of close contact and and all the fun of Halloween. What are your take-home messages for Halloween safety and for RSV? So the first thing I was thinking about when we were talking about Halloween and all of these different safety concerns is how stressful that feels as a parent to just hear danger, danger, danger. And just remember that Halloween is a really fun holiday for kids and we want to keep it fun. And so, again, trying to minimize some of the scary content that they might be exposed to, which we didn't even really talk that much about today, Um, but as well as the physical threats, the fire and the and the cars and all of those things. But one thing that we didn't talk about that I think is a great takeaway for families is moderation of sugar. And this is a holiday where parents worry their child is eating too much sugar and stress a lot about it. And what I say is this is a holiday that comes once a year. And even if you look at all holidays, it's only every few months. So Mm -hmm. let your kids have fun. Let's keep the fun in Halloween. And yes, there are safety concerns that we as parents are keeping our eye on in the background, but we don't want to transfer that stress and worry over to our children. Let them have fun in their costumes. Let them run around trick-or-treating and let them eat the candy and try to keep your adult worries about this holiday to yourself because we don't want to create anxiety in our kids. Or as they say, let them eat cake. (laughs) Exactly. That's a little literary illusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then RSV. RSV, as I can attest, is not fun. Um, So we want to be careful with our children, no one to suspect it, but also worry about exposure to adults. Talk about that a little if you would. Yeah, RSV is a serious illness and it affects people of all ages, but certainly as a pediatrician, we know that kids under the age of two and definitely under the ages of 12 months are higher risk for RSV and RSV complications. They're the most likely to be hospitalized. And so we do take this very seriously. But the takeaway message that I want parents to hear from this is that your pediatrician is well experienced in caring for kids with RSV. This is something that we do every year. It's not new to us. We know how to handle this and to treat your child. If you have questions or concerns, the best thing to do is talk to your pediatrician. I think that's a great point. 
unlike the fear of COVID, which was novel, meaning brand new to all of us, even the most experienced and smartest uh, minds in the country were surprised, taken uh, by surprise. Mm -hmm. We have the experience with RSV, recognizing, treating it. And the other point that we should mention is that younger children obviously can uh, contract it from their older siblings. What's the incubation time look like? If a child's exposed. So you can transmit for about three to eight days. And then about four days later, you may get symptoms. And so it's it's important to keep an eye um, for a few days after a potential exposure. Good to know. And we want to steer our listeners if they'd like to read more about RSV websites. I'm sure Children's Hospital has has a fabulous website. So the CHOP website put together a great handout called Navigating the Sick Season with a lot of different resources there. We have a symptom checker where parents can put in what symptoms their child has, and it will try to help you figure out what the diagnosis is and whether or not you need to be seen, as well as a number of handouts. One that I contributed to is about controlling coughs and how to take care of a cough, because as we mentioned, that RSV cough can hang around for 7, 14, even 21 days sometimes, and that's a long time to be so we have lots of resources there that can help families manage those sick symptoms and navigate when they should be seeking care. And more importantly, I think where they should be seeking care. Is this an outpatient, urgent care, or emergency department type of a concern? If they're sorting through that, the CHOP website has lots of great resources. Mm-hmm. The other resource that I love is healthychildren.org, which is run by the American Academy of Pediatrics. They have some great resources that are RSV specific. They also have Halloween information there as well. And so for both of those topics, I think you know, when there's so much mis and disinformation out there on the internet, healthychildren.org and Children's Hospital of Philadelphia are trusted resources to convey uh, evidence-based and um, accurate information. Well, uh, that's healthychildren.org and is chop, chop.edu? Yes. If you go to chop.edu, mm-hmm. you should be able to find some of our sick resources there as well. And anything that you Google, if you do, even Google chop and RSV, you'll find it. Yes. And people can listen to this show again, always on odyssey.com and search your radio doctor and hear all the great tips we learned from Dr. Katie Lockwood of Children's Hospital today. Um, And we did, uh, I did borrow a a lot of great information from the National Safety Council and their website is nsc.org. And of course, food allergy, a lot of good information on the website's Um, on the internet, I mean, about food allergy. And remember, if your child has celiac or if they're allergic to nuts, all those things, as Dr. Lockwood said, read the label. Don't trust that somebody says, no, this is fine. It doesn't have nuts. It doesn't have soy or whatever it is that's a concern for you and your child. Read the label. Dr. Katie Lockwood, thank you so much for joining us. We learned so much as always, and I can't wait to have you back again. Happy Halloween. Thank you. And uh, Uh, After you come in from trick-or-treating, you know to put your TV on to watch the Phillies. That's right. (laughs) That's right. And wash your hands. Yeah. (laughs) Wash your hands before you touch the TV. Put on the Phillies. (laughs) That sounds good. Take off that makeup. (laughs) Yes. Katie, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, and I hope everyone has a happy Halloween.
And now for your real champion. I call this segment, Never a Bad Hair Day. Monica Gibson is a nurse case manager who is dedicated to providing skilled and compassionate care to patients in many settings. She finds joy in her giving profession. Once you meet her, you can see how much she loves people and loves her work. Monica always wanted to be a nurse, and that was her plan as she finished high school. But others steered her away from the life with long hours of shift work, and she took the path to the business world. Well, when the nine-to-five life didn't satisfy her yearning to provide comfort and support to the sick, she went back to school and earned a bachelor's degree in nursing at LaSalle University. Over the years, she's worked in level one trauma, intensive care, cardiac care, and psychiatric units. It's this extensive experience and her desire to serve that make her the impressive nurse that she is today. I first had the pleasure of meeting Monica when she did home care visits for a family member after recent surgery. She was meticulous, informative, and upbeat, just what the doctor ordered. Along with the patient, she put everyone else in the room at ease as well. In passing, Monica said her schedule would be a little different last week because she was going to be featured in a TV segment on a morning show in Philadelphia. Monica's nephew has a beautiful little girl who was recently diagnosed with an unusual medical condition. This eight-year-old child was sick through the summer with COVID and recently diagnosed with alopecia, an autoimmune condition that causes hair loss. She was losing her hair in patches across her head over the course of just weeks. The little girl's mom is a hairstylist who came up with very creative ways to work around the hair loss, but finally shaved her little girl's head. Then both parents shaved their heads to show support, and her dad very eloquently explains that he wants to disconnect from the idea of what the world defines as beauty and help his child realize that real beauty is defined by character. Monica herself had very long hair as a young girl, a ponytail that reached her waist. She says her family was always about hair, a sign of beauty in the African-American community. Every month, her own mother would press her hair out and she had perms as she got older. It was a lot of work. And by early high school, Monica cut her own hair into a bob. She was more than her hair and thought, it's just not who I am. In this recent TV segment, the child is interviewed along with her parents, her aunt, and her grandmother, who all shaved their heads in solidarity. As a surprise, great Aunt Monica then came on the show and had her head shaved on live TV. The little girl's reaction was priceless, and she is still in awe of the continued show of loyalty. Monica grew up in a very close, loving, and supportive family, which played a significant role in her own development and now she is passing on the tradition. Here is a little girl going through the heartbreak of hair loss, lifted by family members, and now even her great aunt helping to share her burden. Monica is also a deaconess at Bethlehem Baptist Church. And when she attended services last week, several of her fellow members didn't recognize her new look. Her pastor asked her to say a few words at the upcoming service this week, because her goodness will have an impact on so many other people. Monica quips and says public speaking is not her forte, but she will ask God to lead her as she shares her message that we are way more than our hair. But when you think about it, Monica's actions have already delivered her message of love. We salute you, Monica Gibson, your real champion. 
Thank you for listening to your radio doctor this evening and every Saturday at our regular time at 5 p.m. Listen to the show again or any of our shows on odyssey.com. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y.com and search for your radio doctor. Join us next Saturday to learn about Medicare. Representatives from Independence Blue Cross will give a stellar explanation about available options in the Medicare plan, which will help you navigate through the process and make the right decisions about your own future. A special thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and for the support of Rothman Orthopedic Institute and Genentech. If you would like to partner in the show and its important mission, send us an email to info at yourradiodoctor.net. Okay, my friends, get ready for Monday night and Halloween. Here's your homework. Number one, listen to this show again so you can review the great safety tips for Halloween. And remember, you can also visit the website of the National Safety Council, nsc.org. Number two, take off your costume and put on your Phillies hat for Game 3 of the World Series, the first home game at Citizens Bank Park. Go fighting Phils! Number three, say boo to the flu and get your flu shot. This is your spooky radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. And for Halloween, I'm going to be Radio Gaga. Have a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love. And always remember that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. And all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no co-pays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement.